Welcome to the Transformation Church Podcast, where we're leading people into a transforming relationship with Jesus. We hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you a fresh perspective on God and His Word so you can see transformation in your own life. Enjoy the message. All the way back in 1880. Two. What's a cycle? A cycle is in one game where somebody hits a single, a double, a triple, and a home run. All in one game. And this guy, Charles Foley, he did it in quite an exceptional way. You see, in the first inning, he hits a grand slam. Then in the second inning, he hits a triple. And then in the fifth inning, he hits a double. And in the seventh inning, he hits a a single, to propel the Buffalo Bisons past the Cleveland Blues 20 to 1. You know, this idea of hitting a cycle is one of the rarest feats in all of baseball. It's only happened 339 times over a period of 140 years and 235,500 baseball games. You may be thinking today like, okay, great, great stat. Um, but what does that have to do with my life? What does hitting a cycle in baseball have to do with my life? And it's simple. Is that God has designed you and me in such a way that we experience God's best in our life. And, and how many want God's best in your life? Yeah, like five of us, we want God's best in, <laughs> in our life. Well, in order for us to do that, in order for us to experience it, we have to hit a spiritual cycle in our life. And you may be thinking, what's a spiritual cycle? What are you talking about? Well, that's what I want to reveal to you today. Hey, welcome to week two of our five-week series called Batter Up. My name's Ryan. I have the honor of serving here as lead pastor, and if today's your first day with us, maybe you're a guest, or maybe you've kind of missed um, a few weeks. Last week, we kicked off this series called Batter Up, where we've been talking about how to help you hit a spiritual cycle in your life. And last week, um, I talked about it as kind of a, a setup message for the rest of the series, and I talked about this idea that God has an offer on the table for you. That when you walked in today, that God has an offer on the table for you. It's an offer for a better life. And it's the, the, the solution for the question that you and I ask at some point in our life or multiple times in our life, that there has to be more to life than this. And the offer that God offers you and offers me comes in the form of four promises. And I talked last week about promises, and I talked a little bit about the difference between the promises we make versus the promises God makes. And I would encourage you that if you missed last week, that you check that out online or listen to it on the podcast. But today what I want to do is I want to kind of um, step, uh, take another step in this idea of promises, and I want to reveal to you the four promises that have been at the core of God's heart since the beginning of time for you. Like all the promises that we see in scripture, the thousands of promises, they all fall underneath these four core promises that he has for your life 
to help you experience God's best in your life. And so today, if you're taking notes, I've entitled today's message, I will bring you out. That I will bring you out. Hey, let's prepare our heart today for God's word. Would you say this prayer out loud with me? Father, as I open your word today, speak to me. May I have ears to hear, a heart to receive, and the courage to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, why don't you grab your Bible this morning or your smartphone. You can make your way to the book of Exodus. We're going to be in the book of Exodus chapter 6 today, so you can begin to kind of make your way. If you've got an actual Bible with pages, hey, good for you. Um, But if you've got a, a Bible with pages, you're going to the second book of the Bible there in the beginning. And, um, and I don't, one of the things that I try to do as a pastor, especially because I didn't grow up in church, um, I wasn't fortunate to have those opportunities, is, is one of the things I, I try to do is to not assume that you know a story in the Bible. Because if you're anything like me, it's easy to walk into a church service like this and feel like everybody in the room knows what's going on but you. And so today, I just want you to feel at ease with that. I want to unpack, I want to take just a minute to give you kind of a a broad stroke, an overview of what's happening here in Exodus before we go into these four promises. And so we're going to be looking at Exodus again, chapter six. But the book of Exodus is a continuation of a storyline that we find in Genesis Um, starring a guy named Jacob, also known, he's later um, renamed or also known as Israel. And his son is a guy that maybe you've kind of heard of, whether you've been in church or not, His, his son was Joseph, okay? Joseph ends up being sold into Egyptian slavery by his brothers. Hey, how about that kind of brotherly relationship? Can you say dysfunctional family? Um, But God ends up giving Joseph favor. And Joseph ends up becoming second in command. Uh, He saves the, the world from famine. And because of this famine, Jacob... And all of his family, some 70 people, ends up moving to Egypt where life could be a little bit better. But fast forward some 400 years later, and this great relationship and favor that Joseph had with Pharaoh, which would be, is a title for, uh, a title for king. So the Pharaoh or the king of, of Egypt, that relationship is gone. And in Exodus chapter one, it tells us that that as the years became decades and as the decades became centuries, that, that all of the pharaohs that succeeded one another became increasingly worried because the people were multiplying too quickly. In fact, most scholars believe that that the numbers had grown from, you know, the 70 plus that had migrated into Egypt to somewhere between 2 million and 4 million people. And so to make sure that this group of people wouldn't rise up and create some kind of coup and take over Egypt, Pharaoh decides to enslave them. He decides to force them to work long, hard hours, making bricks and buildings and, and, and building some of, of the world's wonders like, like pyramids. 
And to slow the growth of the people of Israel, Pharaoh decides to do the unimaginable. He orders that every baby boy be murdered by throwing them in the Nile River. Now, I find it, I find it quite interesting that of how history tends to repeat itself. I find it quite interesting of how what Pharaoh was concerned about, the potential of the people rising up and, and moving in a different direction can be so similar to the evil that we find today that is trying to, to kind of hide behind a veil of women's rights, Satan's fear of your potential. And what we see here is we see Moses's mom in a last ditch effort to save her baby, she places Moses in a basket in the Nile River, and this is what happens. The basket of Moses ends up on the banks of Pharaoh's sister, and she chooses to take Moses as her own child. And so Moses ends up growing up in Pharaoh's home, but he eventually discovers, hey, I don't look like everybody else around me. And he discovers that he's not Egyptian, that he's Hebrew. And as the anger and the discontent begins to, to grow within him, he lashes out at an Egyptian taskmaster that ends up killing one of the Hebrew slaves. And Moses kills him and buries his body in the sand. Sounds kind of like one of the the kind of shows that my wife watches when, when I come home. Like, I, I don't know, guys, if you ever run into that, but there, there's just something unsettling when you come home and your wife's been watching these TV shows about, about how to murder husbands and stuff like that. But uh, I think one of them's called Snapped, like, right? Well, Moses, Moses fears for his life. And at 40 years old, he flees to the backside of a desert, a town called Midian. And while living there, living a defeated life, taking care of his father-in-law's sheep, Moses comes across a burning bush. The Bible says that the bush is on fire, but it's not being consumed and and Moses, like any of us that sees a bush burning, but nothing's really happening to it, kind of walks up and God speaks out of the bush. Now we could, that's a whole other message about that whole experience. But, but God says to Moses that I've called you, Moses, to go back to Egypt and to free the Israelite people. Now another thing that's kind of fascinating about this is this, this idea of of Moses going back to free the Israelite people is a foreshadowing of, of Jesus coming back and bringing freedom to us. And what, what you see in the story is that Moses is, he, he's like, okay, God, I, I, don't, I don't think so. And, and Moses responds the same way that many of us respond when God tells us to do something, right? Like we come up with excuses. We come up with reasons why why, God, you, you, you can't use me. Like, like for Moses, 
God, I'm a murderer. Like, there's no way that you can use me to, 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 to do such an amazing feat to free the people of Israel. I, I'm a murderer. And Moses, Moses kind of struggles with, with speech. Like, some, some say that he had a, a speech impediment, he, that he stuttered. And so, for Moses, he's thinking, like, I'm a murderer. I have a difficult time communicating pe- to, to people. Like, I can't, I can't do it. And I find it so interesting throughout the Bible that God is notorious for picking the least likely to do his work. Like even if you look in the New Testament, God's not showing up to the most wealthy. He's not showing up to the most educated. He's showing up to, in that culture, in those times, fishermen, those that, that were not good enough, were not smart enough. And, and I think about my own story, and I think about my own struggles with learning disabilities and my own struggles with, with being an, an introvert. And I know you don't get it. I don't get it either, but it's a reflection of how God can use in our weakness, he can make us strong. And it's just, God is notorious. Somebody needs to hear that today. He is notorious at using people that don't think they're good enough and they can't do it. And we see the situation with Moses and what does Moses do? He chooses to obey. And he goes back to Egypt and through a series of these warnings and these plagues, Pharaoh ends up letting the people go, letting them out of slavery. And so today you might be wondering, like, what does this story have to do with me? What does this story hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago have to do with me? Well, Here's what it has to do with you, that in Exodus chapter 6, we see the beginning of God mapping out these four promises, the same four promises that he had for the people of Israel, he has for you and I today. If you look with me in Exodus chapter 6, verse 6, here's what it says, says, therefore, say to the Israelites that I am the Lord. He says, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. That's promise one. Promise two, that I will free you from being slaves to them. And promise three, that I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with a mighty axe, a judgment. Promise one that I will bring you out. In other words, I wanna get you out of your current condition. Like where you're living right now and what you're walking through and the struggles and the pressure of life that I wanna get you out. Like God's not saying, notice here, he's not saying like, like I wanna change you. He's not saying, I want to fix you. He's not saying, I I want to get you to join the church, that I I want to get you to do all these things. He's not saying any of that. He's saying in promise one that I want to bring you out of your current condition. The second promise that God has for you and me is that I will free you. And you may think like, knee jerk think, like, hasn't he already done that? Like, 
Promise one, that he's bringing you out. Promise two, I free you, that's the same thing. Well, well, no, there's a difference because, you see, for the people of Israel, they were out of Egypt, but Egypt was still in them. That they had been freed out of Egypt, but there was Egypt, there was residue of their former life still in them. And the second promise that God wants to give all of us is not just pulling us out of our old life, but it is this, this process where all of that baggage and all the stuff in our rearview mirror, all the voices that keep telling you why you can't and why you shouldn't, that God will take us through this process of freeing us from our past. In other words, in promise two, you, you might be going to heaven, but you're still controlled by anger and attitudes and bad habits and, and unforgiveness. And God is like, like I sent Jesus not just to give you a ticket to heaven. I sent Jesus to free you from the stain of your past. Now we see promise three. I love this. Promise three, that I will redeem you. In other words, in other words, I'm going to put you back to your original purpose. Like you've wandered from me. I've taken you through this process of, 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 of freeing you from the past. Well, now I'm going to redeem you. Like all the things in your, in your life that have brought you to this point that you look back at and think disqualify you, that I'm going to redeem you and give you a purpose. And then, and then we see in verse 7 the fourth promise. It says this, that I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. I love this promise of number four that, that, that he's saying that, listen, I'm gonna place you in a spiritual family. I'm gonna put you in a safe place, a spiritual family that is making an eternal difference in other people's lives. And look what God says. Look what he says after that, after we experience promise one, two, three, and four. If you got your Bible and it's, it's the paper, if you got your Bible, you've got to circle this word then, that it's then. It's not when we, it's not when we just choose to start coming to church once or twice a month. It's not because we have good intentions. Like it's, it's then. It's when we've experienced and received the promise one of salvation, the promise two, three, and four, that then we know. Like we know what being a Christian is all about. We know what experiencing God's best is all about. He says, then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. You know, you and I, in our faith journey, will never fully understand what being a Christ follower is all about until we experience these four promises in our life. In fact, we are so confident of this as a church that we have, 
we have actually built our entire vision and all of our programming as a church around it. You see, that's why our vision is to lead people into a transforming relationship with Jesus. Transforming is this idea of progression. Relationship is this idea that it's not about religion, it's not about checking off boxes, but it is having a relationship with Jesus. And and how does that transformation happen? Well, I've got a baseball diagram to kind of help you in the theme of of baseball, that it happens first at first base by, by coming to this realization that I am lost, that if I don't accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, if I don't turn my life and commit my life to him, then, then I'm lost. And so the first promise that God slides out on the table for you and I is this invitation of a better life. It's, it's an invitation to, to know God. It's an invitation to surrender our lives to him. Guys, so many times we stop at first base and we always wonder like, like there's got to be more to life than this. Like, like I thought if I was going to accept Christ into my, into my heart, like everything was going to change and hey, that is my story, but it didn't happen just because I went to first base. I think, I think God's desire for all of us is that, that after we come to this place of knowing God and experiencing salvation, that, that then we take a step towards the second promise. And notice, notice the vision. Notice our vision is to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and to make a difference. All in alignment with the four promises that God has for our lives. That God desires once we know him to, to take a step. And, and, and friends, every step takes courage. Every step causes us to lay down, to step outside of our comfort zone, to surrender our lives a little bit more to God. That we take the second step of finding freedom, allowing God to cleanse and to purify all the residue of our past mistakes and shortcomings. But then after finding freedom, there is this restoration, this redeeming that happens, this redemption of of all the mistakes that I've made, that God wants to use all of that. What does Romans 8 say? That I'm going to use all the good and I'm going to use all the bad, right? For our good, for our benefit, for his purpose. And once we discover our purpose, We hit the spiritual cycle in life when we then step out and we become a part of a family, a group of people that are committed, not just to having good church services, but committed to making a difference, an eternal difference. Like it's one thing to make a difference. A lot of people, that's socially acceptable nowadays. Let's make a difference. I'm talking about making an eternal difference in people's lives. Church, if these have been on the heart of God since the beginning of time for you, 
then why would we do anything different as a church? Why would we add anything else to the plan that God has for you and I? Church, this is where we get the name transformation church, that we are being transformed, that we are in this this process, this progression of moving from first base to second base to third base to fourth base. And, And I like to look at it as cyclical, meaning that as I know God, then I begin to find freedom. Then I realize that I have a purpose and then I begin to make a difference. And as I do that, I know God even more. And I find even more freedom and I discover even a more purpose. My purpose has changed through the years. If God in my burning bush moment would have told me that this was his plan for me, I would have been just like Moses, no way, Jose. I'm not talking about you, Jose. I love you, Jose. (laughs) It is a progression. And it's in that progression that allows us to get to a moment where we look back 10 to 15, 20 years in our past and we become amazed, overwhelmed at what God has done in our life. And in this name, Transformation Church, it's, it's more than just a name. It becomes our vision that it is about us being transformed into his likeness as we progress from one promise to the next. And so church, with that in mind, I wanna take a look, I wanna take just a few more minutes and I wanna take a look at this first promise that God extends the offer on the table for us This first promise that I am the Lord, that I will bring you out from under the yoke, the Egyptians. I mean, what's God saying here? What's God saying to you and I thousands of years later? Well, if you look up the word slavery in the dictionary, you'll discover something kind of interesting that slavery is any time that you are submitted to a dominating influence. Anytime you are submitted to a dominating influence. And the reason why that's important for us to know is because based off of that definition, you and I can be slaves to a lot of things in our life. Like there could be a lot of things in our life that we are submitted to that are a dominating influence in our life. For some, we're slaves to bad habits or addictions. For some, we're slaves to to bitterness or or unforgiveness of of people in our past that have have hurt us deeply. And and I'm not dismissing the hurt and I'm not dismissing the trauma that that you've experienced, but, but we can't become a slave to that. Church, we can even become a slave to our own dreams for the future. And this is the way that we can tell if we are a slave to something or not. That thing in our life keeps calling the shots. 
that whatever that thing is in your life, and my guess is, is if you're struggling with it, you know right now what it is. And you know that you're a slave to it if that thing keeps calling the shots in your life. And chances are, if you're anything like me, in my journey of discovering who God was and accepting him in my life, chances are you don't even like it. That whatever it is that's calling the shots in your life, you don't even like it. Well, guess what? If that's you today, guess what? God is saying to you, batter up. God is saying to you that you are a candidate for this first promise, the promise of knowing God through salvation. And here's what that looks like, folks. Here's what salvation looks like. There's three action steps that come with salvation. And this kind of goes against our, our kind of cultural norms um, of, of, of salvation being just a raise of a hand and a prayer. Like there's some actual, if you look at scripture, there are some actual steps that come along with salvation. The first one is this, is you gotta make a choice. If you're gonna come out, if you're gonna, if you're gonna allow God to bring you out like you did the Egyptians, you've gotta make the decision to go the other way. To go the other way. Look with me in Acts chapter three. Verse 19 through 20. Look what it says here. It says, now repent. Repent of your sins and go back to living whatever life you want to live. No. <laughs> it says, repent of your sins and you turn to God. So that, that's another kind of phrase that you can circle in your Bible, that when we repent of our sins and then we turn and we go the other way, that our sins may be wiped away. And then it says in the next verse that then, another one, that's that word again, that then, circle that word, times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. Friend, what if the reason why we feel like we're not experiencing these times of refreshment even though we've prayed a prayer, what if it's because we've never truly repented and we've never truly turned to God? What if maybe we got moved emotionally? What if maybe we found ourselves in a church service and we raised our hand and we prayed a prayer, but we walked out the doors right back into our old lifestyle, doing our own thing, leading our own life? You know, the biblical word for this promise is the word repentance. It's a word we don't use a whole lot today, but but this word, it doesn't mean perfection. It doesn't mean that we're gonna all of a sudden be perfect and make all the right decisions in our life. It just simply means a change of direction. It means that 
that in my life, I was calling the shots, that in my life, I was doing things my way, following my own desires, my own dreams, what made me feel good, like I'm doing all of these things. And then all of a sudden, I have an encounter with God. And all of a sudden, I'm faced to the reality that, that there is a God, and I'm not him, and that if I don't accept him into my life, then I will experience the rest of eternity in a place that some churches don't even like talking about nowadays, that, that place called hell. <laughs> so he said hell in church, oh my gosh. We have this encounter. What the Bible tells us and what we see throughout the New Testament I've not seen one example of somebody in the Old Testament that received Christ and then kept walking their own way. That there is this decision, this repentance that says that I recognize that I've fallen short. I recognize the magnitude of my sin and where that's going to send me for the rest of eternity. And because I recognize that and I recognize the love of God that sent his one and only son to die on a cross for me, that I'm not gonna receive this kind of cheap grace that allows me to go living my own way, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna repent and I'm gonna turn and move the other way. Doesn't mean I'm perfect, no, but it means that now I'm not living for my kingdom, I'm living for his kingdom. Have you experienced that kind of repentance in your life? Have you experienced the kind of salvation, the kind of repentance that causes you to think different, to act different, to, to, to walk different? I think the second thing that we see in Scripture is that not only are we choosing to go the other way, but but now we're going to let God lead. That now we're going to, right, give up the authority in our life and allow God to lead. If you look at the people of Israel, they could have held on to the familiar in their life, but in order for God to get them out, they had to let go of the familiar and embrace the unfamiliar. And friend, that is a part of the first promise, that yes, there is a repentance and there's moving away, but at the end of the day, like, like who's calling the shots in our life? And we have to allow God to lead our life. Look with me in Mark chapter eight. It says this in, in uh, uh, verse 34 says, calling the crowd to join his disciples. So Jesus is kind of pulling everybody together that he says that anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. That if you're gonna come to me and receive this, this eternal gift of salvation that You've got to let me lead. 
says, you're not in the driver's seat anymore. <laughs> like the whole bumper sticker of God is my co-pilot. That does, that is not biblical. <laughs> you're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Don't we want to do that in life? Like when things get hard, we want to run away from it. He says, don't run from suffering. Embrace it. So let's follow me and I'll, I'll show you how. So self-help is no real help at all that self-sacrifice is the way, my way to saving yourself, your true self. Friend, God can't bring us out of the condition we're in if we aren't willing to allow him to lead our life. And the third thing that we see, the third action step to this first promise of, of salvation is that we've got to fully commit our life to him. That we've got to fully commit our life to him. For the, for the people of Israel, they had to, this is what they had to do. They had to reassign their heart from Egypt to God. And for us to truly know God and to experience salvation, not the way that America says it is, not the way that our comfort zone wants to say it is, but to truly experience it the way that God intended then we have to reassign our heart to God. Romans 6, 19 says it this way. It says, because of the weakness of your human nature, that I'm using the illustration of slavery to help you understand all of this. So that's previously. We all have a Previously. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led ever deeper into sin. But he says, now, now that you've had this encounter with God, now that you recognize that, that your life is going in the wrong direction. Now that you have to make a decision to turn, to pivot, to move in the other direction, to, to allow God to lead, now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living so that you will become holy. What does he mean by holy? He means more like Christ. I heard this said once and it, it struck me. It's been stuck with me for ever since I heard it. It's this, it's that salvation is free, but it'll cost you everything. This idea that salvation is free, but it will cost you everything. In other words, when I give my heart to God, there might be some things that, that I don't like. 
that God desires me to do in my life. Like, like I might not like getting up in the morning and coming to church. Like, I might not like making church a priority in my schedule every week. Like, I might not like reading my Bible. I might not like praying all the time. I might not like um, being obedient in my giving. I might not like forgiving people that have hurt me in my past. But I do it not because I like it. I do it because I'm committed to his kingdom, not mine. And friend, these three action steps boil down to one word, one word that describes the promise that God has for you and me, the first promise, and that word is relationship. It is a relationship with Jesus. Friend, do you have that? Do you have an authentic relationship with Jesus? Have you chose to go the other way? Have you chose to allow God to lead your life? Have you chose to commit your life, not to your kingdom, but to God's kingdom? In 1997, my life was a complete wreck. I was living for myself. I was a slave to drugs and to alcohol. Had no real direction for my life. All of my relationships were strained. And friend, I was headed down a dark and dangerous path. Friend, Wednesday night in January, 1997, I didn't just pray a prayer, but I surrendered my heart to God. That I made the decision to repent and to turn and to go the other way. I made a decision at that point to allow God to lead my life. And I made a decision a decision to fully commit my life to him. And friend, it changed my life forever. Have you made that kind of decision to God? Have you made the kind of decision to God that you can look back and you can say that my life has changed? That who I was before, I am no longer. Not because of some cheap grace, but because of a grace that cost Jesus everything. And therefore a grace that cost me everything. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's message, be sure to share it with your friends and tag us at TransformTLH. Thanks again for listening, and we look forward to seeing your face in the place someday.
Have a great week. <laughs>